thank you to our music team each week for leading us in worship. I think that last song we sang, of course, it's based on a text of Scripture. Who can tell me where in the Bible you'll find that text? Not you. <laughs> Revelation 5. I'm right. Revelation 5. But it's amazing how some of these songwriters will take a text like that and just create a memorable song. And of course, when you get to Revelation, it's, it's like Paul was talking about, you know, before the story, the story, and after the story, it's, everything climaxes in Revelation. It's a little harder to understand. Um, maybe one of these days I'll preach through Revelation and um, we'll explore so things. You know, it's, if there's so much you don't know, but there is enough that we do know, and there's enough that we do know that we can act upon and, and apply. So, title of this message, The Best and Worst of Times. Where did I steal that from? Okay. How many of you had to read that, Tale of Two Cities, when you were going through school? Oh, we need an assignment. <laughs> it was the best of times. It was... The worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. You might recognize these words as the opening lines of the tale of two cities. And thus I've titled this message as we jump into the book of Exodus because it was both, you're going to see it for, for God's people, the worst of times. It was the worst of times. But in many ways, when you see what God is doing, not just in this story, but the bigger story, it is the best of times because you see God at work for his people in the same way that he will be at work for us today. We often define our history. You think back to your own life, the growing up. You think of the good times and maybe the not so good times, the times that you uh, enjoyed back. I don't know if I'd ever want to go back and relive things, um, there, but there were times that you remember a sweetness, a joy, a happiness, and there are other times that you remember, remember as like going through a dark valley or a very difficult time. And so we're going to explore that in, in these ways this morning. We're going to jump into an incredible story of Moses. It's the um, fitting in, as we say, to the bigger story of the scripture. And you come to Exodus, and in English, the very first word, it says, these. These are the names. And of course, then this one we gloss over when they start going through names. You go through that like in, in Matthew or in Luke or in and uh, there are parts of uh, the scriptures that we, we go through numbers and there's name after name after name and you just kind of glaze over or you fast forward. And uh, sometimes I've tried in my scripture reading to, maybe I'll just take that really slowly and it's still hard <laughs> um, going through names. But these are the, the names of the sons of Jacob or the sons of Israel. And they're, they're mentioned here in the scripture. But the very first word in Hebrew 
is and. And. It's the Exodus starts with and. So this is a continuation from Genesis. So you move into Exodus. The first five books are attributed to the writings of Moses. And I want you to think of Scripture that way. When, when it, we start in Genesis, it is one story. It is one story. The central figure is who? Jesus. It is a story about redemption and about relationship. And this is exactly what this um, microcosm of that story is here. And we'll see that. Face to face, the life of Moses, redemption and relationship. So Exodus is both a book that we read and it is an event. The Exodus we refer to as the deliverance of God's people, Israel, out of Egypt. It is their emancipation. It is setting them free. And it is a picture. It is a picture of what God does for us spiritually, uh, delivering us out of slavery, out of bondage, out of persecution, out of misery through Jesus Christ. And in this beginning, we're going to see really the, the times, um, you know, the best and worst of times from three different perspectives. The perspective of Egypt, the perspective of Israel, meaning God's people, and then the perspective of Moses. We're going to be introduced uh, to him as a little baby. So what is the perspective for him coming into this world? Why this study? Um, why, did, why did I, you know, I prayed about when I was finishing up Jonah, uh, which I didn't have a lot of time to pray about it because Jonah was uh, five, five weeks um, going through that. Um, but I thought, what, what should I preach on? I just always have been drawn to Moses as a figure. And, and I've preached this before, not these messages that I'll be doing, but I, I've studied this before, but now in a new light. Um, I think the, the longer I live, the more I see the Christ-centeredness of all of it. The more I see that one red thread that runs through every part of Scripture. Whereas before I would see it as compartments. You know, we got this story here, you got Abraham, and, and then try to make some practical applications. But now I see this, the, 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 just the message of Christ all through this. Moses, of course, uh, writing the first five books. Uh, there are parts of it I'm sure he didn't write. In other words, describing his death. <laughs> but uh, generally speaking, he gave us these first five books of Scripture, as well as Psalm 90. Moses is mentioned just about 700 times in Scripture. There is no person in all of human history that is more recognized, other than Christ, than Moses. Moses is a central figure in history. And even when Peter is preaching the message of the gospel, I mean, you think about the launching of the New Testament church. Christ has been crucified, buried, rose from the dead, announcing the good news. Central to Peter's sermon is about Moses. And I love this. He, he, um, Peter, in chapter 3, says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Christ, who is appointed for you, Jesus, 
whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And then he goes on to say, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. Now, when do you ever read about Moses in the Old Testament saying the name Jesus? You say, well, I didn't get that. Um, but yet this was really, you see this kind of the imagery and the message all through Moses and even in the Ten Commandments. And even when we come to uh, this uh, ch uh, chapter 33 and verse 11 of Exodus, says, it says, Thus the Lord used to speak face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's an amazing statement. Because there, the scripture also says, No man shall see God and live. You say, well, God is a spirit. So how does, how does Moses see the face of God? And Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians that, that Jesus is the expressed representation of God. And so we see God in the face of Christ. So I'm believing in that text that Moses saw Christ. That's how he sees God. In the Old Testament, while he was alive, Moses sees the face of Christ. That's the kind of relationship that he had. And it says he would speak to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And I think, you know, when I read that, I, I think I would long for a relationship like that with God. To be able to talk to him like a friend. That's what he has really intended for us. He desires that for each of us. In John 1.17, it says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Law is the foundation. Law is picturing to, it's not in conflict with. In fact, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So, Ten Commandments are giving, given. It's not like God says, oh, enough of that, keeping the Ten Commandments, that doesn't work. I'm going to give you a whole new system. No, Jesus said this. He said, all those laws you couldn't keep, I've kept, and I've kept for you. And so he fulfills that. So it's one fluid story. So a look at the times from three perspectives. That's what we'll do this morning. The times of Egypt. Uh, Egypt was, as we'll see, an incredible place. Um, we're going to... North Africa, northeast part of Africa, um, desert all around. Uh, the Nile River is running up through it and um, providing incredible resources. But Egypt is a godless country. And, you know, sometimes you wonder why people do what they do. Why, why do we look in America today and watch the violence, the dishonesty, the corruption, the misery, the pain, the awfulness. Well, that's what people do when they have no God or they don't have the true God. That We should not be surprised. I think some, we should be appalled at sin um, as God is, but we should not be surprised at that. 
when, when someone has no belief in God, no belief in absolute truth, then this is how they're going to live. And this entire country had for years uh, been that very same picture of the, a world system without God. Now, Israel is different. This is a second perspective. Israel, these are God's people. These are God's people living in the cosmos or the world system. Just like we as God's people live in a world that doesn't believe. And so we believe differently and we should be living differently, uniquely. The times of Israel... God sees. This is what you're going to hear about the, see about the story. It's amazing. So you have God who, for some, seems so far away, so distant, but God sees the plight of his people. He hears their groaning. And we're going to see what it talks about in Hebrews as he feels their pain. It's the kind of God we have. He sees what's happening. He hears they're groaning. He feels their pain. And he cares. And so we think, well, what's he doing? <laughs> um, patience is not, uh, for most of us, our virtue. But God is at work because the next um, perspective is Moses, who is God's answer to their cries. Remember, I, I've shared this with you many times, what I love in the scripture the Lord says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you search for me with all your heart. All you need to get God's attention is a desperate cry. <laughs> of course, you have his attention anyway, but all, you don't need a well-formed prayer. Crying out in your pain, uh, the most eloquent prayer you may have is, help! God, I need help! I'm in pain we're suffering. You start reading about what God's people were going through. It's horrible. And this is what uh, Moses is born into. Moses, um, his life is, you have one person. You have all of Egypt. You have Israel. And you have one individual person. I love the way it's described in Acts, it says, and he was a beautiful child. Now, I've never heard any baby born that they don't say that. <laughs> so, but I think that the, he must genuinely have been beautiful because that's what the scripture says, and it's true. So, let's look at these three, these three perspectives. First of all, Egypt. First thing you think about when you think of Egypt. Now, if you're older like me, you think of um, Charlton Heston, and uh, Exodus, you think of pyramids, sphinxes, mummies. Everybody's seen the mummy movies. Pharaohs, Cleopatra. Uh, you think of that, that time period. But the history of Egypt is long. You know, in the United States, we have, what, 250 years of history. We think that's long. But Egypt is, is probably 5,000 years. In fact, up until uh, this, this time of Moses, of the Exodus, we've got probably 1,500 years that have already passed. 
They've been a united kingdom or unified kingdom uh, under a number of kings and pharaohs. The geography, we find it, Northeast Africa along the Nile, and it empties into the Mediterranean Sea. So on both sides of the Nile, probably for 25 miles, you've got some of the richest, most fertile land. That's why they had incredible resources, natural resources, gold, precious metals, stones, agriculture, um, the water from the Nile, uh, took care of everything, fertile soil, uh, famous for their horses. All over the world, they would be exporting their horses to other armies. Their culture, and this is hard for us to process because whenever you think of something that was a long time ago, that they weren't as advanced. You know, you think everybody is like, well, that's more than 40 years ago. They're like cavemen. But... Um, Actually, the society and the culture in Egypt was very, very advanced. And it's one thing to realize, too, you know, when God, when God made Adam and Eve, he made them perfect. And what, what kicks in after chapter 3 of Genesis is sin, which what, what uh, scientists will call the second law of thermodynamics, which is everything that you see is in a constant state of deterioration. I mean, that's what, that's what happens. So it's really in conflict with evolution. Everything is getting better and better and better and better. Everything is slowly getting worse. It's, it's deteriorating. It's like an old car. It's like an old house. It's like your old body. Uh, it just, I mean, it, it, everywhere you look, you see this deterioration. So, so when I say some of the best minds in all of history are not currently living today. Um, the best writers, the best, best authors. I was sharing with someone earlier uh, today, the best books that I read are hundreds of years old because I think some of the greatest scholarship, now, true, we have uh, more research, we have more things. You say, we have electricity today, we've got, the, we got iPhones, we got, yeah. But I don't think that we're more advanced in our thinking. And so you have in, incredible universities the art, uh, hieroglyphics, their language, uh, medicine, um, all of these things. And so Moses probably growing up in that, the Hebrews didn't enjoy that, but in, in the, the system of the Egyptians, they were a very, very intellectual and very, very advanced society. They were also a great military power, ruled by a pharaoh who's like a king, and uh, they were second to none for Thousands of years, not just a few hundreds of years. This was a very powerful, rich, influential nation. And so this is the place that God has put his people. Um, it's an amazing thing. Why, why would God choose to, to place the story here? And I think we'll see there is a reason. So that's the perspective of Egypt. Uh, briefly, we'll cover more as we, we go on. Second is for Israel. Now, how did they get there? <laughs> how did all this begin? Uh, you remember Abraham? So Abraham, God said, "I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you. I'm going to make you a father of many nations." And it's like Abraham. Remember Abraham? It's like, hello, hello. I'm you know 80 years old. I'm 90 years old. I'm you know he's got 30 years waiting. For an answer to that, 
and he tries to manipulate things and trying to get, make it work out. So promises you, you're going to be the father of many nations. And his son, Isaac, is born. And what does Isaac mean? What's the meaning of the name Isaac? Laughter. That's because like when the promise first came, they go, ha, 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 ha. You know, 100 years old, 90 years old, ha, 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 Father of many nations. So when we get to Exodus, you know how many Hebrews there are, Israelites? About 2 million. 2 million coming out of Egypt. So God is working a plan, and his plan is always about redemption and relationship. He does things to get our attention. He gets things to draw us to himself. He lets us go through trials to do the same thing, redemption, relationship. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. These become the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And you remember that Joseph, our, one of our favorite Bible characters, Genesis 37 to 50, just kind of going fast forward here, is betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, told their daddy he was dead. He's lied about, thrown into prison. And, and he goes through all this from the time he's 17 to 30. He's just kind of like being mistreated. But when he emerges, when Joseph emerges at 30, interprets Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh makes him ruler over all of Egypt under him. He has a discussion with his brothers, brings back his dad, his brothers. They set up in the land of Egypt. So that's how they got there. 400 years pass. That's a long time. 400 years, and they go from 70, 70 people in that initial group, to 2 million. So you can see why Pharaoh's saying, I'm getting nervous <laughs> about these people. They keep multiplying. So we're going to start killing them off. It's a genocide. So make them slaves, persecute them, I mean, you see so many parallels to modern society in this. And, and we're going to start killing off every male, every male child that's born, put to death. You say, well, why didn't God just stop it like that? Because God is, is not just working for immediate. He is working for ultimate. And that's why I have challenged us as a church when it comes to our nation and politics and everything else. Yes, I care. Yes, I, I do care about these things. But what is the big picture reality? People need Jesus. People need redemption and people need relationship. Now, changing laws can help civilize some things, but, but changing laws has never gotten anyone to heaven. It never has. Only Jesus has. And so the big picture answer is a redeemer. And Moses becomes a picture of the redeemer, of Christ. You can see, see this. I mean, it's just beautiful how so much of this. And, and Moses becomes the deliverer. So you have Abraham, <clears throat> Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Um, now two million people as slaves being persecuted um, and in pain. And as we've said, God is not at a loss. God has a plan to bring in a redeemer. And this is when we come to Moses, our, the character of our study, um, and how he is born. 
It's not a great time to have a baby. You know, I've heard many people say, you know what, I pity those having children today. Of course, they were saying that when we had kids. I remember them telling us, I pity those that have children today. <clears throat> and um, I don't, you know, when you're living in Egypt, when you're living in the world, there, there's always going to be um, challenges. And sometimes are worse. I don't think that what we're living in today is the worst time in history, because if you read history, there are times that are just awful, like here. And uh, very difficult, difficult times. But we're reminded that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we are surrounded, just like with Egypt, with a system that does not believe in God, and that's how they function. All the decisions they make, the things they appreciate, the things they value, uh, are going to be based on the gods they make up. And we're going to see they have a lot of gods. <laughs> um, Moses is going to be, be dealing with a lot of that. But God brings into to play a boy at just the right time. You say, well, he's 400 and, 400 and something years late. No, God's never late. Because he's not idle. He's doing many other things in the lives of many other people bringing to this point of redemption and relationship. See the parallel here in Galatians 4 where it says, when the fullness of time had come, or time was full, it's like uh, the, the, everything is ready. God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So are, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. Well, just like Israel were slaves to Egypt, we have been slaves to sin. And we need rescued. We need redemption. And that's what he plans. In Deuteronomy 18, this is what Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Moses is saying, I'm, God's going to raise up a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. So this is what the New Testament is saying. He's speaking about Christ. He said, I'm talking about a prophet. It's not me. It's the one that will come, who is Christ. And see, I, I think this is where every teaching needs to get to Christ. Every sermon needs to get to Christ. Every person needs to get to Christ. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. I'm not saying it's unimportant. I'm not saying it's unimportant. But everything else is secondary. A personal relationship with Christ is what this whole story is about. So Moses, who we think is the central figure, is saying, really, no, there is another one <laughs> that is coming. He is a central figure. Now, what is amazing, we're going to see next week, um, because I think we get into actually next, the next couple Sundays. Um, it's just a, it's an amazing, amazing story. Um, I get tempted to kind of get into more of that this morning, but I won't. Moses is uniquely qualified 
to be the man. I mean, he's a beautiful child. Okay, number one, who would, who would be the perfect rescuer? And um, I'm, I'm sure we kind of picture in our mind uh, Thor or Superman or Batman or like, who, who is going to be like the one, yes, I'm going to step in and save the day. Um, because you think we need someone to deliver us. And, and he's talking about one person. So he's got to be a superhero, right? <laughs> and when you start reading through this, you start thinking, man, he is, God is just setting this up for him to go, boom. And it's amazing. So, one, he is a Hebrew. He is a Hebrew. He ends up being an adopted grandson of Pharaoh, meaning an heir. Did you get that? I mean, he goes from death sentence, he's a baby being born, put him in a basket, put him in the Nile, his sister's watching him so the crocs don't eat him, <laughs> and the daughter of the Pharaoh sees the baby, takes the baby, says, okay, nurse, nurse the baby. It's probably going to be up to two years of age or three or four, possibly. But So this, this baby, Hebrew, nurtured by a, his own mother, goes into Pharaoh's house, and then he gets all of the privilege of education. By the time Moses was 40 years of age, he probably had the equivalent of several master's degrees, probably a PhD. He was a military leader. Um, he, he was, uh, Josephus says he was uh, a general at the time he was 40 years of age. I mean, so you, you've got all of this, and he knows who he is. He knows he's a Hebrew. He has great power. He, not for sure, but may be in line to be the next pharaoh. So you think, wow, this is the perfect guy. This is our superhero. And in Acts chapter 7, it says he was, might, he, was, he was learned in all the education of the Egyptians. So, I mean, he had probably multiple academic degrees. He's mighty in words and in deeds. Now, you remember when we've read about Moses and uh, a few uh, upcoming experiences? He said, I can't speak in front of people. Um, well, that was after 40 years of herding sheep. But before he was herding sheep, when he was 40 years of age, it says he was mighty in words. What do you think that means? I mean, he could argue a case. He could articulate. He could speak. He could write. And he was mighty in deeds. Um, Josephus tells us, he's a Hebrew, a Jewish historian, said that he led an army against Ethiopia, conquered a million-man army as a leader of that army. So, I mean, this guy is very, very impressive. But we're going to find when we get to next week that um, this doesn't work because there's one thing he lacks. Do you remember what Jonah lacked. Remember when he was in the belly of the great fish? What did Jonah lack? Humility.
God is not impressed by what you can do for him. You know, all the education, smarts, intellect, family name, got the gold, got all this, leader, speaker. You know, it's like, it's like we all want to be that, don't we? We all want to be that person. We all want to be the rescuer that just, they got it all. It's the one we're all jealous of. But the Lord wants a servant who is humble with a contrite heart. That's all he needs. God's not impressed by what you can do for him. He's impressed by what he can do for you. And this is what Moses is going to have to learn. I think it's what we're going to have to learn about the situation while the rest of Israel might be saying, oh, man, we got the guy, the, the, the man's going to be the, the deliverer. Is that um, Moses isn't ready yet. He's, he's got upcoming now, he's going to have a 40-year grad school experience. <laughs> So this is going to be an exciting study. But my, my prayer is this for you personally. You're going to capture what God is doing for yourself. It's the worst of times. I mean, when you look at Egypt, it is, for God's people, it is the worst of times, the worst time for a baby boy to be born. But it's the best of times because God's at work. God's at work. And no matter how bad it gets in your life, and I'm, and I'm looking at people that I know have been through and are going through painful things. No matter how bad it gets in your life, God is there. He hears it. He sees it. And he has a plan. You've got to trust him. And what is he working toward? Not just solving your immediate situation, but providing redemption and relationship. God will send his son to redeem us. Wash away our sins. And he wants relationship with us. You know, that is my longing, my prayer as we go through this. Lord, I want to know you face to face. I want to speak to you as a friend. I want to see you work in my life like you work here. So, two kinds of people I'm talking to. Some who have never put their faith and trust in Christ as their personal Savior. My prayer is that you come to Enjoy his redemption. But relationship is something for many of the rest of us needs to continue to grow and develop and to mature. Because I don't know of anyone in the Old Testament, anyone in the Bible aside from Christ, that enjoyed that face-to-face -face with God like Moses. Father, we thank you for your incredible word. And I just pray that um, all the things you want to accomplish in my life as I study and teach this, for each of us as we hear it, to be able to see and to embrace the goodness of the best of times that will be taking place in the worst of times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.